We're going to go back to the beginning, all right? Back to the book of Genesis. And this morning, um, take a look at the first message in the subject of the series um, of God and government. And um, I want you to know, I believe, I mean, I believe God obviously has led us here. We would have preached the same messages regardless of the, what, however that the election would have turned out. President Trump would have been reelected. I know a lot of people have thoughts on that. I really don't want to address personalities. That's not the point of this message because what God has to say about government has not really doesn't have much to do with personalities. Um, let me just, we're going to get to Romans 13. I don't want to jump ahead too much, but and I know you all know this, but realize that the, the powers that be in Paul's day was the Roman Empire. One of the most corrupt, wicked empires. And yet Paul said, people, you need to honor those in authority. And that was the very system that executed Paul, by the way. And so, that's kind of an over, overlying principle for what the Bible says. Um, anyway, I'm, Genesis chapter 2 um, verse 7, very familiar verse of scripture, and then we're going to just skip down, or we'll read verse 7, verse 8, and then uh, uh, skip down to the end, near the end of the chapter. So here's Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now skip down please to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Let me just interject here. Work is not a result of the fall or the curse. Work is not part of the curse. The futility and toil and sweat and all that. God gave Adam a job to do in day one. Or day one, well, I mean day one of his life, day six. But you know what I mean? And then he said this, in verse 16, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Right, let's skip down to verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they're both naked, the man and his wife, and they're not ashamed. Forgive me, I just couldn't help it. That's my response to the idea of getting, doing away with gender pronouns in our society. But anyway, sorry, couldn't resist. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the time we can spend in that word today. We pray for thy blessing, for thy help, and for the leading of the Spirit of God. And help us, Lord, to rightly divide the word of truth. And it might be a help to everybody here today. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. First of all, right off the bat, God is, all right, and always has been a God of order and authority. Right? Genesis chapter 1, let's flip, 
flip back a page, Genesis chapter 1, and verse 26. And um, just going to read that verse. For time's sake, you could, you know, read the rest of the chapter. Um, it's very, it talks about the God going to create man. And then the last verse of chapter 1 says everything God made was very good, perfect. All right, 26. And God said, let us, that's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Right, I do want to read verse 28. And God blessed them. God made it male and female. There it is again, verse 27. God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Alright, so, in this passage here, and in Genesis chapter 2, I see at least three commands from God. So God governed Adam and Eve, as it were. He, he established commands, right? In Genesis chapter 1, it's a kind of a double command, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it. Right? So God gave them a mandate, he gave them a commandment. Alright, in chapter 2, he gave them a command, thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 17 of chapter 2, commandment, law. The third command. And we kind of, we tend to really, wow, we tend to downplay this really bad today. Therefore shall a man leave his father's mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's so, at least three commands that God gave. So in this first message about God and government, I'd like to outline three main points. Number one, the origin of government. Number two, the responsibility of government. And then... Number three, an overview, a brief overview of Israel's government. Right? Because Israel's government was absolutely instituted by God. All right? Now the Bible says in Romans that all the powers that be are ordained of God. All right? Now there's a lot there that we, we, we may have a hard time with, but we need to, we need to just take God's word um, as it is. So let's take a look at the origin of government. Kind of, we sort of Mentioned that a little bit already, but I want to look at two things concerning the origin of government. And it began with God rule. When Adam and Eve were created and placed in the Garden of Eden, well, there was no king, there were no presidents. I mean, it was just them. Right? But God was the governor, God was the ruler, and God gave one prohibition, one restriction, right? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, oh my, too many rules. That's what I hear people, people say all the time. Really? God gave them one, and they couldn't even handle that. All right? And so they broke it. You know that. And they, and they, and they brought the fall. All right? All right. So, but, but there was the first prohibition. But then, in Genesis chapter 9, there we find in here the actual first principle of human government given. All right? Now, um... It doesn't say anything. I don't see anything from Genesis 3 to, to, uh, to through Genesis 8 um, where there's anything about rulers. Okay. But we come to Genesis chapter 9, and this is, of course, after the flood. 
And let's pick it up in verse 1, even though really just verse 5 and 6 is where I want us to look. But verse 1 of chapter 9, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Or obviously the earth had been wiped out. There was only eight people left. So God gave the same commandment to Noah and his family that he gave to Adam and Eve. Multiply. Be fruitful. Multiply. Replenish the earth. And, anyway. and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand are they delivered. Now, just a quick thought on that. That tells us tells me that before the flood, there was not that fear. So the animals didn't fear man. Just think about that. The Bible says in chapter 6 of Genesis, the, old, the earth was filled with violence. And that would have been not just people against people, it would have been animals against people. Can you imagine the, the bears and the lions and the dinosaurs, you know, the T-Rexes not having any fear of man? They didn't have it until after the flood. That's, but anyway... But understand, you know, the violence, you know, the wickedness that, that made, that caused God to send a flood upon the world, okay? And in chapter 6, in fact, let's, this is so important. Let's look at Genesis chapter 6 for just a minute and see what God said, okay? The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. And the Lord said, now this is in light of all the violence that's happening, all the wickedness, all the, the sin. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. For he, that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. Right, God is making a decree here. He's saying, first of all, I will not strive with man anymore. How do you do that? No, there's no mention of leaders. This was through the conscience. This was this speaks of God dealing with man through the conscience. Well, guess and and, and so as a result of that, or, or the, the the perversion of that on the part of man was that every thought of the imagination, or every every imagination of the thoughts of heart was only evil continually. So in the time of Adam and Eve, before they fell was the time of innocence. After man fell was the time of conscience. God strove with man through the conscience. God said, I'm not going to do that anymore, but 120 years he's got left. God gave mankind 120 years while the ark was being built to repent, to turn back to God. They didn't, so God sent the flood. Okay, now, the flood is over in Genesis chapter 9. And so God institutes the first principles of human government. And then, just we're going to read the verse in, that, in, in chapter 9, then more of what I mean. And then, then if you go into chapter 10, which we'll do today, there's a genealogy, but it also talks about ruler, Nimrod, the beginning of his kingdom. So rulers, kingdoms began to develop. All right? Now, most of it was contrary to, you know, they didn't know, they didn't oh, fear God. They, 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 they tried to stay in one place. God said, multiply, fill the earth. said, now we're going to stay here. We're going to build a tower. And that was the Tower of Babel. And God brought judgment and so on. And then chapter 12, 11, 12, God begins to deal with Abraham. And there we have the dispensation of promise. Right? And yet the law and so on. But here, notice, 
the fear, fear of, of man upon the animals. And then God in verses 3 and 4 gives permission to eat meat. They only ate vegetables and stuff until fruit before the blood. Now God says you can eat meat, but you're not going to eat the blood. That's the life that stands for the atonement, all those things. Now, verse 5, And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the, hand, at the hand of man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. All right, so God says, here's the first principle of human government, Execute murderers. And of course, God, you know, that, that's how God intends murderers to be dealt with. And he made provision, especially later when it came to the time of the law. God gave laws about murder. One of the commandments, thou shalt not kill. Really, thou shalt not murder. And in the books, Exodus, Leviticus, and so on, in the law... God made provision for accidental killings and those kinds of things. Or, you know, killing in war doesn't violate that command, so on and so forth. But God instituted that principle. Right? Now, so, one of our country's national sins that we don't talk about very much is the failure to execute murderers. Right? Some people, oh, no, no. That's never changed. In Romans 13, it talks about he beareth the sword. The government, the government, the authority bears the sword not in vain. Right? According to the word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, a murderer forfeits his right to live. And it's supposed to, you know, and by the way, this is not talking about vengeance. It's not talking about you killed my brother, I'm going to kill you. No, it's talking about the authority. And that, that's developed more in the Old Testament, how, how God set that up. So there's the principle of government. Again, we see in chapter 10, chapter 11, we see some of those governments and kingdoms. And then you get the life of Abraham. Abraham's traveling, as God told him to do. And what did Abraham do on his travels? He he came in contact with with kings and governments and nations. So that developed. Again, the people that were in those positions didn't necessarily fear God. Some did. But the principle is there. It was God who established the principle of government. Because we need to be governed. We need laws. Right? And, and of course, most countries probably wouldn't admit it. But the system of law, the system of justice, and so on, that every country has is based on the scriptures. It's based on the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, and so on. Right? I was talking to a guy, fellow I've been talking to for years, and, and I think I hope he's going to get saved soon. But anyway, we were talking about justice and talking about all these things. I said, well, talking about how you know sometimes a, a person is convicted of a crime and Frank turns out later they didn't do it. And I said, yeah, do you know what the Bible in the Old Testament says? One eyewitness was not enough. How many times have people been falsely convicted and put in prison? And even executed, maybe, because one eyewitness. And it turned out that that person was wrong. Well, he, he said, what does the Bible say? The Bible says two or three. has to be at least two and, and hopefully three witnesses. One's not enough. Anyway, so I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, if you, find, you could find the scripture, in the scriptures, you can find principles of proper government. By the way, our founding fathers, many of them, anyway, searched the scripture 
for like how to govern man. Thomas, or governor Carter. Thomas Jefferson, for example, studied the four Gospels, and he especially studied the Sermon on the Mount to try to get the best kind of government we could have. Now, that's good. But if they, even if the leaders don't do that, doesn't change the principle. Doesn't change the principle that God ordained government. All right, now, so let's take a look at a couple things here. Um, Secondly, um, the responsibility. Responsibility of government. Um, Let's go to 2 Samuel, chapter 23. Um, You know, as I said at the very beginning, God is a God of order and authority. God is also a God of accountability. We, for example, we, every human being, is accountable to God. We're going to give an account one day. Rulers are accountable to God. Husbands, we're accountable. We have certain responsibilities toward our wives, and wives have certain responsibilities toward their husbands, and parents to the children, children to parents, and we... God's got order, authority, and accountability. And I said all that to say this, and I use myself as an example, that not probably not a good one, but um, the Bible says I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church, right? And my she's supposed to submit, right? According to the Bible. If she doesn't submit to me, that gives me no right to say, well, I have to love you. you no, you know. If I don't love her the right way, then that doesn't give her the right to say, well, I don't have to submit to you. See, in other words, we don't have, we have not the right to say, well, the government's not doing it right, I don't have to I don't have to obey, I don't have to honor them. You won't find that in the Bible. Right? Now we will, hang on. Uh, not next week, probably. The following week, maybe. Uh, we're gonna look at the Bible and answer the question: is it ever right to disobey the government? And we're gonna find there's Bible answers to that. Anyway, hold on, hold that. Pique your interest. Okay, where was I? Oh, yeah, 2 Timothy. 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 23. 2 Samuel, chapter 23. Um, <clears throat> this is one of those things, one of the neat things in the Bible. You have, you have the last words of, of many people in the scriptures. Okay? Good and bad. 2 Samuel 23, verse 1. Now, these be the last words of David. In other words, the last thing, his last official statement, if you will, is kind of his farewell. David, the son of Jesse, said, and the man who was raised up on high, yeah, raised up to be king by God, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, the Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. He's talking there specifically, especially about the book of Psalms and other places where David spoke, that that's recorded. The God of Israel said, verse 3, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. That's what David said. Now, did David always do that? And he says in verse 5, Although my house be not so, you know, David was guilty of some gross injustices during his kingdom. You know, he had a man's a, a, a lady's husband Mer, killed in battle and so on but the point there's, there's the principle here's the responsibility of leaders they must be just just means fair and equitable and, and rule correctly and don't take bribes and don't accept the you know per, the 
don't be respect your person, but judge rightly, apply the law, and so on. That's all. Ruling in the fear of God. Right. But notice, ruling. God has given the, the authorities, the governments, the right to rule. All right. It came from him. Probably, oh, it's hard to keep with the, with the thought. But, um, Jesus, when he stood before Pilate, do you realize that he recognized Pilate's authority? Because Pilate said, basically this, why won't you answer? Don't you know that I have power, I have authority to crucify? Release me and I have power to crucify thee. And Jesus said, No, you, you kidding me? You don't have any power. Is that what he said? No, Jesus said, Thou couldst not have couldst have no power against me except you were given thee from above. Now, above, does that mean the Roman Emperor? Because Pilate was under him. No. From God. Anyway, we're going to see more of that because we're going to use Jesus as an example more times in this study. All right, so there's the response. Though those who rule are to be just, and they are to rule in the fear of God. All right, let's go to look back to De Deuteronomy chapter 17. Now, I realize this was God's rule for Israel, but it really applies. And, and there's places in the Old Testament and New where it talks about applying application to all nations. Right? For example, let's one, pick one out of the air. King Nebuchadnezzar. God gave him a dream, and, and, and Daniel interpreted the dream. And he said, basically this, Nebuchadnezzar, I humbly beseech you because you're in trouble. If you don't stop the way you're going, God's going to judge you. And of course he did. So, anyway. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, says this, and, and um, this Israel hasn't got to the promised land yet, but the Lord is already anticipating them being there, and he's giving them rules ahead of time. When thou art come to the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. And you know, that's exactly what happened. We want a king, we want to be like everybody else. That's a whole other subject. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king, set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. Again, that doesn't apply to other countries. That applies to Israel. Because God said, you know, it's got to be some. It's got to be an Israelite. It's got to be the one that I choose, that I appoint. All right, now, but he shall not. So the point I'm making here from these verses is that the ruler shall be, he shall rule conservatively, not self-indulgently. Okay? Now, by conservative, I don't mean as opposed to liberal as such, but conservatively means to be careful in what he does and spends and all that sort of thing. But, verse 16, he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, he shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Did you listen, David? We think of Solomon. But David had lots of wives too. And Solomon had 700 and 300 concubines, a thousand women. And God said, don't do it. 
And don't multiply gold. You, know, you go to the book of Kings and you read about the storehouse of Solomon and the talents and talents and talents of gold. And the gold that came to him in one year. And I, I can't believe that this is a coincidence. It says there that the amount of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents. So what does that come up to? Six, six, six. Now, not that Solomon was an Antichrist, but the Bible says in Revelation that the, the number six is a number of man. So Solomon ruled as a man. And what's the book of Ecclesiastes all about? Basically, someone says, oh, I didn't hold back anything. I've got whatever I wanted. So that's why I, I titled this little point, he should rule conservatively and not be self-indulgent. And then it talks about verse 18, don't want to miss this, and it shall be when he sit upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this book, of this law, in a book out of that which is before the priests and Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord's God and keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren and that he turn not aside from the, com the commandments of the right hand or to the left to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. See, there's so many great, great, great principles and policies. And again, I, I praise the Lord for the, our founding fathers. I, I haven't met any of them yet, but, you know, and their desire to find out what God had to say about government and about liberty and, and about all these things. It's a great system that, that, we, that we have. It's just that it's been perverted by those in charge. So anyway, all right? Second Chronicles. Let's take a look there. Um, Second Chronicles chapter 19. And this also happened to happen during the, during the rule of a good king. And you know Israel and Judah. Well, Israel only had a couple kings because it got divided as a, as a, as a united nation and then they were split. But they had some good kings and some bad kings. And uh, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 19, we have King Jehoshaphat. Again, King Jehoshaphat was not a perfect king. And there's nobody, there's no perfect kings, there's no perfect anything in, in humanity. But he was a good king. He was a God-fearing king. And he tried to do the right thing. All right, now, um, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 19, starting in verse 4, it says this, And Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem. And he went out again through the people from Beersheba to Mount Ephraim and brought them back unto the Lord God of their fathers. I mean, he did, Jehoshaphat did a great thing with that. And he set judges in the land throughout all the fenced cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Take heed what ye do. For ye judge not for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. In other words, in your authority. Wherefore now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts, in other words, bribes. Moreover, in Jerusalem did Jehoshaphat set of the Levites and of the priests and of the chief of the fathers of Israel for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies when they returned to Jerusalem. And he charged them, saying, This thus shall you do in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a perfect 
heart. And what cause soever shall come to you, or of your brethren that dwell in their cities, between blood and blood, in other words, you know, between issues, between families, whatever, between law and commandments, statutes and judgments, you shall even warn them that they trespass not against the Lord, and so wrath come upon you and upon your brethren. This do, and ye shall not trespass. And behold, Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all matters of the Lord, and Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's matters. Also the Levites shall be officers before you, Deal courageously, and the Lord shall be with the good. Now, um, of all the kings of the Old Testament, that's the most detail that we find about any particular king. So why do you think it's in there? Well, because this good example to follow. And so he was a good king, he was a good administrator, and he, he warned the people that he placed in authority, look, you're doing, you're doing this not for men, but for God. So number three, responsible government, rule as God's representatives. Right? Not yourself. It's not for you. It's not, it's not about the leaders. It's about God. Now there was, there was a time when there was a little bit more, there was some concept of that in our country. All right, Romans 13. Let's go back and smooth air. And then we got one last, one last thing to look at um, <clears throat> regarding Israel's government. It's a good model. Um, Romans chapter 13. Again, I'm emphasizing in this particular message, this point, the responsibility of government. So I'm not going to say any, really anything about our responsibility to them yet. That we'll get to next week, Lord willing. But here's it in Romans chapter 13. Um, the responsibility of government leaders is to rule justly, to punish evil, and reward good. Right. Let every soul, verse 1, be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And now let's skip down to verse um, 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. In other words, God did not institute or ordain government to be a terror to good. But to the evil, wilt thou then not be afraid of the power, do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So, according to the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, right here, you know, New Testament passage, Romans 13, the primary responsibility of government, those in authority, is to maintain law and order. It is to reward the good and punish the evil. And again, it says, he beareth not the sword in vain. And that is a, actually, that word sword there is the idea of the executioner's sword, a special sword used for executing murders. All right? And so, that's the responsibility. Um, you know, even when I, I did watch, and again, that doesn't, I'm saying it because of what we're talking about. When President Biden took the oath of office, he vowed to protect us from all enemies, foreign and domestic. So that's, a, that's another response to the government, protected citizens. And all the kings, good or bad, they all had armies. Right? And oftentimes God would say to Jehoshaphat, for example, Jehoshaphat was being attacked by the enemy, and God gave him a battle plan. And there was a 
weird one. I mean, it was, he said, send the choir. <laughs> you know, you know that story? Wonderful story. And the Bible says when they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushments. So because they obeyed God, God took care of the enemy. There's a verse in Proverbs 16 that says, If a man, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And for years and years and years, we, we had tranquility and peace. And our the enemies were afraid because we had a, we had a reputation of being a godly nation. Right? That's not normal, that's a longer case. But anyway. Now, so we're gonna again we're gonna hopefully tie all these things together, but God has given the, the, the government certain authority, certain power, certain responsibilities, and they will give account to God someday. And so, we need to pray. That's going to be part of next week's message too. Pray for those in authority. The Bible says that right out. Pray! Also says give thanks. Anyway. Alright, one last thing. Acts 13 this is an overview of Israel's government. We're going to take one look at Israel's government um, historically, and then Israel's government prophetically, because there is a new government coming to Israel. Good. Prophecy. No, Bible says There's a new government coming to the nation of Israel. It's coming to the whole world, by the way, but especially Israel. They're going to be special benefactors. Acts 13. <clears throat> Remember, we read back there in Deuteronomy, God anticipated that Israel was going to ask for a king, and he said, no, if you, you do that, you want you take the king I give you. Now he, because they didn't wait, they said, we want one right now, God gave him salt. You know, you know how that looked like, right? But anyway, in Acts chapter 13, Starting in verse 16, he then tossed it up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they were brought as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with a high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered, suffered he their manners in the wilderness. By the way, who led them through the wilderness? I mean, who was the human, human leader? Moses. So the Bible says Moses was a prophet. Yes, he was. But Moses was a government official. He was the leader of Israel. I don't see that he had a title. He wasn't King Moses or anything like that. But God put him in that position to lead. And laws. And Moses, he had those under him. Okay. In fact, at one point God said, a point seventy. Anyway, so... There was there was there was a authority, there was order, there was there was structure. Somehow we get the idea, I don't know where we got this idea, I've heard it said to me, somehow they think that they were more disorganized in the Old Testament. And even when it comes to the New Testament, I have people that tell me, nobody here will think, but people have said to me, you know, your your church is just too organized. The, the, the churches were not organized in the book of Acts. Oh really? Is that so? Read fifteen and sixteen of Acts in other places. And where Paul said he wrote to the bishops and deacons. Is that not structure? So don't get don't fall for that lie that somehow they were just all disorganized, did their own thing. No, never been that way. Right? Jesus said, I'll build my church. And, and so 
make sure that the structure is not man-made, but it comes from the scripture. I'll say that. All right. So, he suffered their manners in the wilderness, verse 18. Verse 19, and when he had destroyed seven nations of Anakin, he divided their land to them by law. Notice, and after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. So you have the book of Judges, where men were placed, given authority. And it seemed like the poor judges, the main thing they had to do was try to get, you know, rescue them from the enemy. It was, you know, a tough job being a judge back in those days. But anyway, verse 21, after that, they desired a king. And gave, God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kiss, a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. Notice, he gave judges, he gave King Saul, and then verse 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God according to his promise raised on Israel's Savior, Jesus. Until Paul gets into the the preaching of the gospel, but he kind of he laid the groundwork because he was preaching mainly to Jews here. So there's a little just just a tiny overview of God, of Israel's history and their government. They had judges, they had they had Moses, and then they had Joshua, then they had judges, and then they had kings. And then because they continually turned away from God, they had foreign kings. Right? They were in captivity. Alright, let's take a look at just a little bit. Two verse, two passages of scripture and uh We'll finish, but in verse first one is in Isaiah chapter nine. What about the future of Israel's government? Now they have a government today. They've got a prime minister. They have a cabinet. They have different things like that. Um, and God knows all about it. And so Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, very familiar, very familiar verses passage here. Two verses. This is the future. Part of it is rooted in the past. But for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the government shall be, it shall be upon his shoulder. It's not now. The actual government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Of course, it hasn't happened yet. Jesus Christ has not returned, but he will return. And again, please, please, please resist the temptation to fall under this crazy idea today that Christ is not coming back to reign. I'm getting so oh, grieved my heart, all the churches and preachers and so-called Bible, Bible studies that are now denying Christ's earthly kingdom. It's right, it's all through the scripture. He's coming back and he's going to rule. And Revelation says for a thousand years on earth from Jerusalem. He's going to do it. Alright, now let's go to Jeremiah chapter 23. I mean, wow, how can you... How can you spiritualize such details of the Word of God? And we went through that a lot, so many ways. We've been going through the book of Revelation. We got to chapter 20. But anyway, look at Jeremiah chapter 23. Again, very familiar. Verse of Scripture. 
Verse 4, verse 5. Jeremiah 23, verse 5, verse 6. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and the king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his, this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Now, everybody would, I mean, every believer would say, yes, it's talking about Jesus Christ. Who else could it be? But notice it says that he will execute judgment and justice in the earth. In other words, he's going to set up a kingdom in the earth. When the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, what did he say? He will say, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. So he's coming. I think you all know that, but I, I just, we need to pray about this whole thing. There's so much that's going on in this world. And I'll tell you what, what's happening in Washington is like a drop in the bucket. It's so very important to us, I suppose. But God reminds us all the nations are like a drop in the bucket. And as we are, you know, he says, he, he that sits in the heavens are going to lie, he'll laugh at the feeble attempts of, of our government to try to thumb our noses at him. Right? He, God's in control. Our life, our responsibility, our task does not change depending on who is in the White House or who's in the Congress or who's the governor of Pennsylvania. That doesn't change our responsibility at all. Right? We're supposed to get the Word of God. We're supposed to try to get the gospel out, help people come to the Lord. We're to live for the Lord right, in our lives. And I understand we have some unique privileges in America. We can vote, we can write letters, we can, we can assemble, we can make better grievances we own. But that's not our life. That's a small part. But, you know, our life is to, is, to, is to live Christ in our society. I, really, I believe that the greatest examples are Jesus Christ and Paul. How they lived on the earth. Okay? Jesus led no rebellion against Caesar. Paul didn't say, you know, we need, we need to get that guy out of there. Again, they, and, oh, anyway, you know, I hope you know I want to win this in my heart. And if you know me at all, you know that I love this country. I pour my heart out every day, pray for this nation, for the leaders, for the people. But I, I understand that, that, that that's not, you know, that, that in itself is not my life. My life is to get the word of God, to live for Christ. To be an example. And folks, one more thing I'll say, and then I'm done. Um, well, maybe two things. Don't hate our leaders. Please don't hate our leaders. I find myself, oh, I've had, I have to ask God's forgiveness. I'll, be, I'll confess, I'll be honest. I saw Nancy Pelosi on TV and I said, I wish that lady would die. And I said, oh, God, 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 how can I say that? This is a soul that's going to spend eternity in hell if she doesn't get saved. And I think about, anyway, so forgive me, allow me to bear my heart about some of these things because you know, that's the reality. You know, I mentioned Nebuchadnezzar, I mentioned Jehoshaphat, I mentioned Caesar. Where are they today? They're gone. They're either in heaven or hell, depending on their 
relationship with the Lord. So it is with President Biden. So it is with Donald Trump. So it is with all of our politicians. They're, they're going to spend eternity somewhere. All right. Well, as I said at the beginning, God is a God of order and authority. Second Peter 2.10, you can study that later for yourself, shows God's disdain for those who despise government. He uses that word, despise government. We, need to, we, can't, we can't always honor the person, but according to the word of God, we need to honor the authority, honor the office. And we have a lot more to say about that. Um, mankind, since the fall of Adam, has manifested his natural opposition to and rebellion against all authority including government. Our nature is to rebel. Right? I think it was Patrick Henry who said the success of this republic is depending, somehow I said, hinges on the ability of our people to govern themselves. Maybe they may have been able to back then. Our people can't do that today. In the vast majority of Americans, there's no way to govern themselves. The Wasserman's mother held up for rights, rights for homosexuals, rights for abortion, right, 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 right. It's going, to, it's, going to be, it's going to just become chaos. So anyway, um, so we need to pray. We need to pray. We must pray that God will help our leaders to do right because they will give an account to him and also pray that God will help us to have respect and have a submissive attitude toward those in authority. We're going, to, again, we're going to speak about that a lot more next Sunday, Lord willing. And please don't be afraid to ask questions, all right? And if, if, you, if you have a, something you want about a scripture principle, about government, whatever, um, ask, and I will give you an answer, or, and probably include it in one of these messages. I'm, I'm intending to do maybe four messages on the subject, but we'll see how the Lord leads. Um, right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we can have in thy word. And Father, I, I know I speak for at least all the growing the adults here. We're all grieved at the things that are happening. And yet, Lord, we, our best recourse is, number one, we pray. That's what we're doing right now. We pray for our country. We pray for our leaders. But then, Lord, help us to understand, Father, our second responsibility is to live for Thee and to honor Christ and live the Christian life openly in front of everybody and to try to get the gospel to those who are lost. Help us, I pray for guidance. Lord, I, myself, I do not have the answer, but I'm thankful that the Word of God does. I just pray for your guidance and for your help in covering these principles. Father, we also, I understand that many of thy people have suffered at the hands of government down through the years. And other, other ways, Christians have suffered. Father, if that would be thy will for us, help us to, to bear suffering graciously, even thankful. Even as the apostles in, in Acts chapter 5, it says they departed from the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. May we have that same spirit, that same attitude, and lead us by thy grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, 372. Let's take a pin box, please, and turn to that camera. Um, 372, who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? Um, all right, stand if you would, please. Verse, just think we'll just say verse 1. Who is on the Lord's side? That was during the Civil War. 
some of the troops came to General Rodney Lee and they said, is God on our side? And General Lee said, that's not the question. Are we on his side? <laughs> so, and they said that on both sides, by the way. They asked, him, they asked Lincoln the same question. He said the same thing. We need to be on his side. Verse 1. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the King? Who will be His helpers? Other lives to bring. Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the